Hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking scary stories to tell in the dark. Spooky scary? Crazy scary. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover the various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other film movie topics. This is episode 375. 375? I think that's... No, 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 no. That's not the caliber that, that Dirty Harry uses. It's a 44 Magnum. 44 Magnum. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> this effects for going over all that. Uh, this week we're talking scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, I'm not scared. Well, we'll, fi- we'll find out. We'll, just, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but joining us today to discuss scary stories to tell in the dark, we have, from Battleship Retention, recording from the Red Room, it's David Bax. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, I'm recording from my bedroom. But, um... <laughs> uh, it's one of those classic errors I put in my in my notes here. But uh, yeah, it all worked out. <laughs> David, how are you doing this today? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing fine. It's uh, summertime in the valley, so it's already it's 10 a.m. and it's already very humid out. Just got back from walking the dog. She's happy to be back home on the couch. How are you guys? First of all, that's not, unfortunate not, that it's yeah. crazy humid. I mean, humid humidity is humidity. It's the summer. But you know what? Guests don't nearly ask us enough how we're doing. Thank you for that, by the way. I feel I feel seen. Like you know your co-host Tyler, that guy, he never asks us how we're doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm doing quite well. I've had a, I've had a very nice weekend with my lovely girlfriend. We've we've had we've had we've had some fun times together. Abe, how, how are you doing? You know what? I had a good time. I helped my buddy move yesterday, so I'm super sore and exhausted, but I'm here doing the show. Yeah, so it, it seems like it's all it's all going rather well, I would say. It's all coming up in the house. Exactly. That's what we like to say <laughs> around here. Um, let's see. Let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, a uh, new commentary track. Uh, last month we did Death Proof for uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, latest film. And this month uh, we've uh, decided on something. It is the 20th anniversary of a number of movies this year because 99 was a crazy year for movies. And we're going to be talking about The Iron Giant. The Iron mm. Giant. That's going to be our, our next commentary track, which should be a lot of fun. That's a solid movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's look out for that one. That'll be on iTunes uh, soon enough, probably by the end of this week, if we everybody gets our schedules together. Uh, what else? Um, let's see. The Summer Gamble is in full swing. Uh, last week, Hobbs and Shaw, sorry, Fast and Furious Presents, Cole and Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw opened last week, starring Dwayne, sorry, starring Wayne the D. Asylum, The Rock Johnson. And, uh, yeah, so that movie is still making money. Um, and this movie, I don't think any of us had scary stories in what we think are going to be one of the top ten highest grossing films of the summer. But scary stories did open to $20 million, which is pretty good for a, yeah. a horror movie in August. Uh, but, yeah, Hobbs and Shaw, $25 million again. Lion King still making tons of money. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has not slowed down here. It's at $100 million, so I'm feeling pretty good about putting it at number ten. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Good job. Yep. Thank you. Um, let's see what else. Um, we, you know, I mentioned this last week 
it's not officially established what we plan to do, but the clowns only screening for it chapter two <laughs> is happening at Alamo, and we do want to get Abe to go there. So we haven't started an official Kickstarter campaign. But Why would I, we need a Kickstarter campaign? What? Why would we need a Kickstarter campaign? Because you're so poor. I don't know. It'd just be funny. <laughs> if everyone contributes two cents, we'll get there. It's more like an open invitation for people to suggest how we get Abe to the clowns-only screening of It Chapter 2 at the Alamo Draft House. Which, which is it at every Alamo Draft House? I think it's only at two of the Alamo Draft Houses. I haven't looked nearly as much into detail as I should about this. But I am intrigued by the fact that Abe hates scary clowns, and there's a clowns-only screening of this movie. So it just feels like it needs to happen. That's that's, uh, that's where I rest on this. I will definitely take a look at it. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. What else? Um, iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. Good to get those. Helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now Author and Abe. That'd be great. Uh, you can give us a star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, okay, I think that's going to do it for that. So let's move on to know everybody. Reach week, ask each other a question or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast. or better get to know everybody. everybody. All right. Abe, why don't you start this one off this week? For a question for you guys. Is there a horror story or a classic regular story that you'd like to revisit every now and again? Because, for example, I always go back to the story where the, the guy marries some girl. She's got a ribbon around her neck. And then at the end of their lives, uh, her head falls off. And I'll, I have so yeah. many questions about that story because I tell my nieces uh, and nephews and they're just like, no, this, this story is too scary. They're like, no, this story doesn't make any sense at all. So you tell your nieces and nephews this story because why not? And then yeah. while they're like, I'm really terrified, why did they you tell me terrified. this, Uncle Abe? Yeah. You're, you're like, well, don't be terrified, kids, because I have nitpicks because I'm an adult and have logic to add to this story. This guy married this woman, and they lived together for, like, 60 years, and she's been dead the whole time? Yeah, that's I scary. Know. I think w- your nieces and nephews, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, um, my nieces and nephews are scared of this story. They should be. This, like, the fact that it doesn't make sense <laughs> is what's scary about it. That's what's scary about a lot of the, these, old, these old things. Yeah, that tends to you be... You can't the, explain it. That tends to that's be the, the scary aspect. Part. Yeah, I mean, it's the, yeah. it's the ambiguity <laughs> and the abstract nature of things that make it scary. This Can I tell you guys, in, in, in lieu of actually answering Abe's question, um, <laughs> can I tell you guys an actual, like, scary story that happened to me? I am well, let's, let's, put, let's put a rating warning on this for the podcast listeners. David's going to tell a scary story now, guys, so beware. <laughs> yeah, no, this is Alvin Schwartz level, like, it's uh, suitable for kids. Um, I'm going to draw no, when as I, you uh, do this. When I, when I worked uh, at a video store uh, when I was in college, um, at, at, for a time when I was assistant manager, uh, not bragging, but a little bit bragging. Part of my job was to call people whose movies who had overdue movies. If once it get once it was overdue, like I don't know, ten days or something, I had to go down the list and call people and say, "Hey, you have our movie, uh, bring it back." And so one time, I called and I I asked for a woman. I don't know. Let's say her name was. Uh, Ellen, or whatever. I don't remember her name. And I was like, oh, a woman answered the phone, and I was like, is this Ellen? And she was like, and the woman said, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, this is her daughter. Uh, Ellen passed away. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. And she was like, what is this regarding? <laughs> and I was, and I said, um, she has uh, an overdue movie. I, I'm calling from a video store. She rented a movie that's, that's overdue. And uh, her mom was like, 
well, how long ago did she rent it? And I was like, uh, it says two weeks ago. And she said, uh, or uh, sorry, it says 10 days ago. And she said, mm, my mom died two weeks ago. And do you oh. guys want to know what movie? Do you want to know what movie it was? Wait, can, can we both take guesses? You can both take guesses. Ghost. Okay. I want to I want to guess uh, Pet Cemetery. No, even it's it's even worse. From Hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> what what happened next? Did you just immediately hang up the phone and and you know go to the uh, the priest? Uh, I the think local the priest? woman and I shared a bit of awkward laughter, <laughs> and then uh, she's that woman has probably not had a good night's sleep since. Mm. <laughs> I mean. You know, it could just be that somebody found her blockbuster card on the on the street. I like uh, in, my, in my version of the be. story, I mean, I, I the, the, res- the response to that question was, "My mother's been dead for two weeks," and and that's that's how that went. And then the phone like just disconnected all of a sudden. Right? No, um, <laughs> I did not work at a blockbuster, by the way. Come on, uh, Hollywood Video. That's corporate chill. No, you've never heard of it. It was a local chain in 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 Chicago. I actually appreciate that very much, David. That's what we call them, well, mom and pop backs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you guys. Hit it. As I currently sip coffee from my mug that's branded with, with the uh, major corporation that I work for. <laughs> I mean, you're getting you're getting mega merch now. I, yeah, I have a question. What okay. What would you say? So we watched. We're talking about scary stories to tell in the dark this week, which is a film that, like, it, it skews younger. Like, it's PG thirteen. It pushes that. We'll get to that, but it, I mean, it does skew towards like a younger audience. What would you say is a horror movie that you would show to like a, a budding like teenage, a tween, a budding teenager, someone that's like not necessarily used to horror, but like you're saying like it. a twelve-year-old or an eleven-year-old, yeah. yeah, in that kind of range. Uh, Poltergeist, very maybe. That's a good one. I feel like my my instinct is that uh, children should be scared, and being scared within the safe environment of a movie isn't necessarily a bad thing, so right. I wouldn't kid-glove it. I'd basically say, like, how scary can I get away with showing, <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the absolute limit that I can show a 12-year-old? Uh, so, so yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna soft-pedal it at all. I agree say, with like, that uh, answer. I mean, the, yeah. that's, a, that's a totally valid reason. And to be honest, when I was, like, 11 or 12, I had already seen, like, The Exorcist or something like that, too, so it really wasn't... Yeah. You know, it, obviously behind like blankets and sheets, but it, I agree with you, David, that you know, kids are they're hearing about these things through their their friend circles online. You know, I sound like such an old person right now. But, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm, I've made it clear on this podcast that yes, I've seen lots of horror movies when I was younger. My mom, when you were younger, yeah, I, I'd, you guys, I'd seen a lot. You love horror movies, I, yeah. I've, I've always loved horror movies, and I've, I'd seen a lot of Hitchcock or whatnot. And my mom, one of my mom's favorite movies was The Bad Seed, um, which <clears> I'd seen. At a very young age, but um, Poltergeist is certainly a good answer. Yeah, that's I'd, a great answer. I'd, I mean, Jaws seems like an obvious one as well. Um, mainly because it just—I think it works on a number of levels. But like, the yeah. horror, I mean, <laughs> the horror level is there as far as being comfortable swimming in an open space <laughs> when you're totally. young after yeah. watching Jaws. <laughs> I'm trying to think back to like the last, or I probably saw Silence of the Lambs when I was like 14 or something like that. So. Maybe even younger. But... Not only had I seen Silence of the Lambs pretty young, I had listened to the whole book on tape uh, with my mom. <laughs> like, we'd like drive in the mornings and back from like school, and that was just like one of the latest things. That's and, like, what you listened to. That was what she wanted to listen to. Like she had read like most of Thomas Harris's books, and I guess she got it like as a gift or something. And it was uh, Kathy Bates was the narrator, 
and she did That's all the voice. Narration. She did all the voices and everything too, like Buffalo Bill and um, multiple Migs. What? Multiple Migs. Multiple. It's multiple Migs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I cannot beat your answer, David. So I will. I will follow suit and say, yeah, Poltergeist. I mean, that has some solid scares in it. I mean, I remember watching that as a kid, and I was like, I am scared right now, even though. Uh, I had heard about it and I'd seen glimpses of it, but I kind of didn't expect like ah, the the scene that I was thinking back to, which is even which is not really a crazy scary scene, is when uh is it Craig T. Nelson the dad? Yeah, he comes yeah. back from work and his wife is just like, hey, watch this, and she's yeah. just been using it. Uh, she's been she drew it uh, with masking tape an area where a chair will just move back and forth. And I was like, I am freaked out right so now. So I got into a fight with my roommate in college about that scene because we watched Poltergeist, I... and he's a very liter- he was a very literal-minded person. So, yeah. like, his thought was, <laughs> people should only be scared of this. It doesn't make sense that they would analyze the nature of this chair moving back and forth. And I'm so like, you guys just said that I'm wrong when I analyze it with my nieces and nephews. Got well, it, you did but... it with nieces and nephews. I mean, you Yeah, were we did it full circle. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, well, no, she's been doing it all day. So it makes sense that she'd get away from the scare factor, just be more about, like, how does this work? So this keeps Yeah, happening. she's kind of amazed by it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah your roommate sounds like a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right. With all that in mind, that's how you play. No, everybody. Let's move on. Let's just amount now quickies. Yep. Each week now, we have one move with the other week with the other week. Oh, quickies. Great, Mark. I was happy with that. It's pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, Abe, what other movies have you seen recently? I haven't really seen a lot of movies, but I've been watching a lot of clips of movies, including uh, uh, Collateral and uh, Heat, as well as uh, clips of movies from uh, Moneyball, which I, I'll always watch. But for the most part, kind of just like... What uh, clip from Moneyball do you watch? It's it's usually the scene where the score kicks in when, they, when he's talking about the process. Um, and that opening scene is also great, too. Uh, so... It's the process scene number one, the opening scene of just the the actual game, and then you see the the statistics of how much money it was spent by the New York Yankees and the Athletics, and the last scene that I really like is when um, uh, the streak, uh, when they when they actually get to the twenty wins, the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. We should start having another segment called Abe's Clip Show instead of Quickies if you're not going to watch it. Happy, happy to do that. <laughs> happy to do that. Because sometimes, uh, sometimes I get really busy. David, what other movies have you seen recently? Oh, a bunch. Um, including uh, one of the other uh, large releases uh, from this weekend, Simon Curtis's The Art of Racing in the Rain, which uh-huh. I surprisingly kind of liked. Um, what is this that's movie the one about? where Kevin... Yeah. Uh, it's... It's a it's a movie about a dog. It's from the point of view of a dog. Kevin Costner is the voice of the dog, um, in so full out. on like husky sixty five year old Kevin Costner old guy voice doing the dog's voice even when it's a puppy, which is like strange but kind of fitting for how like death and end of life obsessed the movie is. Oh. Um, for the one uh, on the one hand, it's just like it's a pretty standard melodrama. My love Ventimiglia plays a race car driver who adopts a puppy, and sort of we see the uh, we see, so we see Milo Ventimiglia sort of, you know, fall in love with Amanda Seyfried, who can blame him, and then like get married and have a kid and go through all these trials and tribulations with his career and his and his 
in his personal life and stuff, but it's all through the eyes of the dog. And that's all pretty standard sort of like melodrama stuff. It's pretty well done. You've got a good cast. Like I said, my love to Amelia, Amanda Seyfried. You've also got Martin Donovan and Kathy Baker as uh, Amanda Seyfried's parents. Um, they're, they're, they're standouts. Gary Cole has a small role. Um, and then, but on the other hand, you've got this dog's inner monologue where this dog is really smart and really sort of uh existential like philosophical about <laughs> death like he saw the like the whole, the whole dog's point of view is that he saw a documentary and this dog can understand english uh yeah, to be clear yeah. saw a documentary about mongolian dogs and mongolian you know uh you know believing in reincarnation and 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 that the dog if it, you know the dog is sort of the last step up the rung before being reincarnated as a man so if you're good, a good enough dog you become a man. So like Kevin Costner's, sorry, the dog's name is Enzo. His entire goal in life is to learn enough about being a human being and be a good enough dog that when he dies, he gets to come back as a person. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, that's not the sort of uh, thing that I, it's not the take that I expected on this like talking dog movie. <laughs> um, it's not actually talking. It's an inner monologue. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I'm overselling it a little because a lot of it is the kind of uh, treacly uh, uh, sappy stuff you're expecting. Simon Curtis has never been a director with a lot of, I don't know, personality. You know, everything's pretty much uh, just sort of like handsome looking. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, there's not a lot of style or flair to it. But uh, the the screenplay and Kevin Costner like similar sounds similar to like narration. a lot say Halstrom movie. Uh, yeah, I would definitely could put them in similar similar categories. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't liked. I mean, Simon Curtis's last movie was Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, before that was Woman in Gold, if anyone even remembers that movie. With Ryan that's Reynolds that, and uh, Ryan Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren art movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, I didn't expect... So, I saw that. But I've also been watching some older movies, um, uh, including stuff that is recently out on Blu-ray. Uh, I rewatched Do the Right Thing, uh, which I've seen um, many, many times and uh, always seem to... Uh, get more out of it uh, every time and and wrap my sort of brain and my moral center into knots trying to figure out who's right and wrong in every single <laughs> scene and situation in that in that movie um it's also a fantastic uh, so, criterion presentation like the video the, yeah. the colors look fan- spectacular yeah uh and then i uh, i just last night no two nights ago watched a a uh, hammer horror movie that Shout just put out called The Reptile from 1966, uh, which is not bad. Um, Who's in that very one? Very hammery. What's that? Who's in that one? Uh, who is in that one? No one I no one I knew. No uh, no, no Christopher no Lee or anyone. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, you've got yeah Noel Wilman, Jennifer Daniel, Ray, Ray Barrett, Jacqueline Pierce mm. is the is the the reptile. Um, uh yeah so uh and then a really great blu-ray i just watched uh that uh, film movement classics put out is a 1973 uh, martial arts movie called the fate of lee Khan. have you guys seen this i haven't no. but now i'm excited uh it's directed by um king who who's best known for a touch of zen and dragon inn um, okay but uh i, I so I'd, I'd often heard of dragon inn sort of uh cited as a major inspiration on uh the hateful eight and i'm in a very tarantino headspace because once upon a time in hollywood is so wonderful i think uh 
and the fate of Lee Khan clearly is also it felt very much like a Tarantino influence in that uh, especially a hateful Eight influence and then most of it it's a very tense action movie um but most of it takes place inside this sort of small rural inn uh where you've got um basically this general is traveling trying to put down the rebellion in the rural provinces and he stays at the inn that's this inn that's run by four women who are secretly also part of the rebellion and also like martial arts masters so uh there's a, a lot of great fighting but a lot of just great uh again very tarantino uh influencing uh scenes of just elongated tension and talking and suspense building mm-hmm. uh and stuff like that it's a really really cool movie mm-hmm. um Oh, and then I watched, uh, my my wife showed me one of her childhood fav- favorites, which I'd never seen, which is Carl Rainer's 1985 film Summer Rental with John Candy. Oh, yeah, John Candy, yeah. And Rip Torn, the 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 recently departed mm-hmm. uh, Rip Torn, has a a major role in it. And uh, this movie doesn't have a good reputation. I don't understand why. It's really funny. It's just mm. uh, it just seems like a series of like the plot is meaningless. Who cares about the plot? It's a standard 80s snobs <laughs> versus snobs plot. But it just seems like. Kyle, Carl Reiner knew what was funny about John Candy and about Rip Torn and basically just like sets up the camera and it's just a series of sort of set pieces of them being funny, like getting drunk and playing darts or like learning how to sail together. It's just like a bunch of goofy shit uh, happens. And I, I thought it was really funny. Yeah. That, mm. Sorry, be... I took way too long. But that's no, why I watched. that's fine. No, that used to be a, like a TBS staple summer rental. That's the only way I've ever seen it. Just like on like like, like on cable like that. And I like John yeah. Candy. And I remember at the beginning, he's because he plays like an air traffic control guy, right? And he gets like yeah, really right. stressed out because there's like a fly on the screen or something, and it like confuses him, and he like thinks like planes are about to collide or something. And yeah, he's like trying to, he's like, come in, he's like calling these call numbers that uh, turns out he's talking to nothing because mm-hmm. it's a there's a fly on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so he's like, I guess I got to go on vacation. <laughs> Get over all this. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's forced to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. His boss is ages, but yeah, that's a fun. From what I recall, I like John Gannon. It's a fun movie. Um, and it's, a, it's just a great uh, showcase for Rip Torn. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mentioned Rest on the peace. podcast a couple of weeks ago, I've been watching the Larry Sanders show for the first time. And yeah, Rip Torn is, he's fantastic. He's, he's a constant, like, wants to support Larry all the time. And it's but like, but just the extent he goes to do that is very <laughs> funny. And of course, Defending Your Life is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, <laughs> I have a few things that I've seen this week. First up, I mean, you mentioned The Art of Racing in the Rain. I've seen the other major release movie the kitchen uh that came out uh this is the gangster gangster wives film starring miss Miss mccarthy timothy haddish and elizabeth moss um the husbands all go to jail and so the wives take on the racketeering business for themselves Mm -hmm. um this movie's not good um it's a bit of a shame because there's a lot of potential there to make for like a, a fun gangster like movie out of this and I can't tell if it's a post-production thing or not, but just the editing's all off. Like, the tone never really comes together. The The film, like, starts with all three of these women just, like, kind of together without, like, you don't really... They establish, like, who they are separately as far as, like, Elizabeth McCarthy's a homemaker. Tiffany Haddish is in a marriage that neither of them really respect each other. Elizabeth Moth gets beaten up by her husband. And, like, so you get that you understand where they're coming from separately, but, like, the movie never gives you, like, a reason for them to, like be hanging out together they're just kind of together once their husbands go to jail and so you it seems like it's already missed out on establishing some sort of chemistry and then it just kind of keeps going from there with a lot of it just kind of pops in and out with like new like plot twists and what have you that said Mm -hmm. there's a lot of individual scenes that are very good bill camp 
has a supporting role in this movie and he plays like a he plays a, a brooklyn mob boss like these the women are in hell's kitchen he plays a brooklyn guy and he has some he has a couple scenes with Melissa mccarthy that are like really good like they're sparring off each other is great and uh-huh. uh, what's his name james badge dale he's the wife of tiffany Haddish. they have a really good scene as mm. far as the intensity like but none of the, and uh Dom, donald gleason he 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 like enters the movie out of nowhere with a lot of like Don Cheadle in and um, Devil in a Blue Dress energy is like crazy killer guy, and he and Elizabeth Moss have like good scenes together. But like the movie itself, it's just it doesn't like feel like a cohesive thing. It just kind of like sits there with like these individual scenes that are fine. Uh, character actress Margot Martindale shows up as well, and she has a number of great scenes. But like, wow. The, uh, so yeah, there's like I'm saying, there's a lot of like these supporting, like a lot of great supporting character, like all this stuff happens, yet the movie just doesn't know what it wants to do with this story. So it's a bit of a shame because I know it's based off like a a, a Vertigo comic, um, and like yeah, the, the gangster concept is like neat as far as what it's trying to do, but it just doesn't really coalesce in a way that works for like a functional movie. Um. Let's you know, um, yeah, that's a great that, that's a great cast. I, I'm trying to remember who Roger Ebert said this about, but he said about a certain actor, like if this person's in a movie, you know, the movie's not going to be all bad. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Bill Camp and Margaret Martindale are those kind of actors to me. It's like even if this movie stinks, I'm going to get at least one good scene out of it. Yeah, and you so you get like three good scenes because of those people in this movie, <laughs> like the movie as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> It's thankfully it's only like an hour and which which also makes me wonder again if it's been like edited down from something else because it's only an hour and forty in a world Mm. where it's a quick running time. Yeah, we're a world where like two hour movies seem prevailed recently. Right. um, What else? Uh, Last week on the show, Professor Mike Dillon mentioned Peter Mutter Falcon. I'll just say it came out this week, and I'll just again say yeah, that's a nice movie. If you can find it, go see it. Um, Let's see. My lovely girlfriend and I rewatched the. I I I took her to see the farewell yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, still oh. very good. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that one. Still have to catch it. Uh, we may. T- I, we haven't decided exactly what we're gonna talk about next week, but I did see Blinded by the Light this week. Um, so I'll, I'll hold off from talking about it too much for now. Uh, well, but, I'm not gonna be on next week, so uh-huh. I'll say now that I think Blinded by the Light is fantastic. Okay. I loved it. There's probably not gonna be too separation from what I have to say about that. <laughs> but, um, Wait, what'd you say? There's probably not gonna be too much separation from what I have to say about that movie. It's, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, the last thing here, um, I've been re- I've been watching for the first time a number of Miyazaki films. I've seen everything Mononoke and Past. I haven't seen uh-huh. the earlier stuff, um, and so I've been re- I've been watching these first movies for the first time. And I, I so Anna and I we watched Porco Rosso um, this week, which. I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, this movie was completely my speed as far as being a World War II fighter pilot, bounty hunter, noir, comedy, drama. Th- like, it has all these elements, in, in including, like, the magical realism of this lead character, Porco Rosso, being, like, a human that turned into a pig. Like, it's just wonderful. <laughs> like, I, I don't and know. I, I, think, plate, I, right? I think this Miyazaki guy is going places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Abe, um, you've seen Porco Rosso, I assume. Right? I have, yeah. I have not. I, I, I've got a. Uh, oh, sorry. Did you say David or Abe? I said Abe. But oh, okay. Sorry. No, sorry. Right. No, go ahead, Abe. Oh, I was just saying. Yeah, I have. It, ahead, it's Abe. fun. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Maybe he probably you. hates. He probably hates Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> David, have you seen other? I've I've seen you see some Miyazaki films. Yeah, I also have a big like gap before Mononoke in terms of I haven't seen Prokhorosa or Kiki's Delivery Service. I've seen Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is uh, 
crazy because it really does feel like a manga type book just mm-hmm. uh, put on screen. Like it doesn't feel like it's in the form of a movie, but it's really beautiful. But uh, recently on our Patreon, a listener asked us for our favorite um, animated films of all time, and maybe the first one that came to mind was My Neighbor Totoro uh, yeah. from nineteen. 19- 88 uh, as i'm looking so uh i do like miyazaki but i have some big uh gaps in my knowledge of, of his films all right well that's enough quickies Tim, let's move on now let's get to our trailer talk where we talk about one of those movie trailers of the week when it's coming out what we thought of it what have you this week we're talking the adams family the upcoming anim- <laughs> exactly the upcoming animated take on the adams family um, it's directed by Conrad Vernon and Greg Tiernan. I believe one of those guys is involved in like the Madagascar world. Like I think they do like the Penguins movie and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the voice cast includes you have Oscar Isaac as Morticia. Or, no, sorry, as Gomez. Morticia. Yeah, I, I said it wrong. I read <laughs> That'd it wrong. be great. Oscar yeah. Isaac as, Morti- as Gomez. Charlie Theron is Morticia. Chloe Grace Moretz as Wednesday. Finn Wolfhard as Pugsley. Nick Kroll as Uncle Fester. Snoop Dogg as Cousin It. Um. And and Bette Midler as Grandmama, uh, among other people. What, what, hey, or David, where where are you with the Adams family? Did you watch the trailer for the Adams family? I watched the trailer because you told me to. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I I don't know I I like the Adams family a lot. This is not a good trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really it feels like such a, it could have been anything. Basically, just like let's take an existing property and put a bunch of. 2019 references or not even 20 because it has like drop it like it's hot which is like 15 years old or whatever um but like uh uh a bunch of like more recent references is like we're updating it it's like no you're making a thing that the parents recognize and the kids will react to because they recognize modern elements it doesn't it it it, it, it seemed like a really i think this idea of like, let's take this thing from a very specific era and put it in the modern day. Like, it was funny when the Brady Bunch movie did it, certainly, but that's 25 years ago or whatever. Um, now it just seems like a weird, like, uh, it, it, it seems it seems lazy. I, I don't know. I don't like to judge a movie based on a trailer, so I will say I don't think this is a very good trailer. Ew. I would also agree that I, I didn't like the trailer as much. It didn't really appeal to me. And part of me was thinking, why is this coming out in 2019? Um not that it can't come out, but more just like this feels like a movie that was shelved or they had a concept for it like four or five years ago. And now it's now they're just like, well, let's just finish it and put it out there. Um, Nothing really strikes me about the animation style and nothing really strikes me about the story that that I I don't know what the story is being told. It just seems like it's the, the uh, representation of the family on the screen again. Um, The voice cast is fine. Like I'm a big fan of, uh, it, I mean, Oscar Isaac sounds like a pretty good uh, Gomez. Um, Charlie Theron, I mean, her personality kind of fits like a Morticia kind of thing. But we'll see how it goes. I, I'm not overly thrilled about it because I love the Adams Family. I remember that was like one of the earliest movies that I'd ever seen, and and I laughed my ass off. Um, and there's just so many weird things about it. And the, and to be honest, like the Adams Family cartoon looks better than this, like from from network television 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm not in too much disagreement on a trailer standpoint. I thought the first trailer, mainly because it just didn't show you all of this stuff happening, was better because it felt like the Adams Family. This feels like we're making a modern movie thing that happens to involve, like you guys have said, that happens to involve the Adams Family, which is unfortunate. I will say the character designs 
they do reflect the original comic of the Adams Family, which is what initially had me intrigued. I'm like, okay, they're trying to make something that seems more like, as opposed to the movies, which has given you a pretty iconic look of what the Adams Family is. The the act the designs here represent what they actually looked like back in the in, wait, when they were. Wait, was it a comic? It was, it was a comic, comic or it was a comic it was a strip TV series? It was a comic strip before it was a TV series, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, my I, I mm. like the uh the original T V series. Yeah, with um with, with John, uh, Aston. John Aston. Yeah. Sean Aston's dad. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, uh, like and I, even then though that T V series like or, I mean, because you know, you can exaggerate things in the comics, but in the T V series it still kind of reflected the attitude there. And and the Barry Sonnenville films the second one specifically, like they're they're very funny and they're very creative and what have you. This mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have that going for it. Um, and those very Sonnenfeld films, obviously, I think the three of us are probably the right age to have seen those at, at a young age. Uh-huh. There, it's like it's crazy how uh, how macabre those those are for like yeah. kitty fair. You know, you've got like <laughs> Pugsy getting like his arm. <laughs> like cut off or whatever. Right. Uh, that's why I want to talk. That's why it fit with this movie. This first scary stories is like, yeah, okay, the yeah. Adam family. That 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 tonally that makes sense. But this movie, this upcoming film, based off what I'm seeing so far, it's like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. And that's it's got it. Christopher Lloyd in the movie. Come on. In the original, yeah. Well, Nick Kroll, yeah. I think, is a fun choice for Uncle for a voice of Uncle Fester. Yeah, like, I, I think like the whole entire like bathtub scene was like, I don't know what's going on here. You sunk my battleship or whatever. Because he's a silly guy. They're doing silly things. He has family. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Oscar Isaac, by the way, looks like he could be Gomez Adams. So it's like, and now they made this like right. animated version. And it's like, it doesn't look like Oscar Isaac. It's like, all right, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, I, I guess. I feel like um, think people were like fan casting Oscar Isaac as Gomez Adams for a possible live action Adams Family <laughs> movie. So like they got their wish sort of. Yeah, because I think... Again, because our generation came to it from the Barry Sonnenfeld movies before, probably before going back and learning about the TV show, probably. Yeah, so it's Raul Julia and Angelica Houston. When I first saw the character designs and he's all goofy looking, I was like, no, Gomez and Morticia are supposed to be sexy. That's like, to me, that's a... uh, That was a big part of their uh, relationship, was that they had the super healthy, clearly very sex-filled marriage. Um, and and uh, I'm not saying these characters don't, but uh, they're they're very cartoonish looking. Agreed. Well, the Adams family arrives in theaters October 11th. So uh, mm, okay, what happens. And all right, let's move on. Let's get to our main review for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my God. Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. I'm afraid that we woke something up. You shouldn't have taken the book. We've got to stop it. Sarah Bellows' book, where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. That should have been some of the trailer for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. So, this is a blind spot for me. I've never read the Scary Stories short story collection by Alvin Schwartz, which featured morbid illustrations by Stephen Grammel. Um, Amazing illustration. Yeah, 
But this film from director Andre Orvidal and producer Guillermo del Toro takes an interesting route in bringing several of the stories to life. Rather than make an anthology film, we have a linear narrative revolving around a few teens who have discovered a book written by an infamous tortured woman who lived at a mansion at the edge of town. By uncovering the book, these stories begin to be written in it, detailing twisted plots the teens get incorporated into. Using 1968 small-town Pennsylvania as a setting, the film brings horrific imagery along with constant reminders of the Vietnam War and Richard Nixon. David, I believe you've read these stories. Were you a fan of the work done to wrap this narrative around them? And what did you think of the film? Uh, I was obsessed with the first couple scary stories to tell in the dark books when I was a kid. For some reason, I didn't never had the third one. And so, like, Harold is not... I don't have that reference. For some reason, I grew up... Uh, like my parents just bought me the first two, and that was, and I read them over and over again, including like, including reading them to my younger brother when he was probably too young um, to go back to your, uh, uh, what would you uh, uh, show a kid? Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I was a big, a big fan of uh, of the source material here. Although I feel we're calling that because the books themselves are just a collection of existing folklore and and stuff like that, right? Uh, urban legends, all, all that kind of stuff, but. Um, as far as the movie version, I would say overall I was I was not uh, a, a fan. I think um, most of the adaptations were sort of I think kind of superficial. Like yes, here are the elements, and and they've tried to recreate Stephen Gamble's uh, artwork. Um, here are the elements of the original story, but for most of them, and especially for the the uber narrative if you will um it doesn't feel like the alvin schwartz uh uh tellings of of these stories it feels a little bit too um i guess it feels a little too hollywood it feels uh uh a little too concerned with like creating a handful of stock characters even if some of the performances are pretty good uh and and sort of these very obvious motivations. I don't think the characters are very deep. It has this sort of like a screenplay 101, I think, sort of a um, journey, or at least the, the main uh, couple characters do. You know, the whole thing with the main character feeling bad about her mom leaving her relationship with her dad, uh, Dean Sex Gifts Norris, um, is, <laughs> uh, it feels very um, superficial to me. I don't know. I just, I, I felt myself, a lot of the time, I spent a lot of the movie just waiting for the next scary part because it's so episodic because it's adapting all these little stories and that's okay. But the part in between the scary parts was, I found pretty dull. I will say I, I had fun with this movie and I, I can't say I didn't find it to be uh, necessarily dull. I can say, I can agree that it's like screenplay one one like you said, as far as like it's doing the kind of least necessary work to kind of get you in between the set pieces. But in that way, it felt to me, in the same way that like a lot of summer action movies like like last week's Hobbs and Shaw felt as far as like we're we're biding time to get to the next big thing um and in that is that a recommendation though is that is that something well, to praise the movie for well I, well let me get to it i mean in that regard i okay. did i did like those i did like getting to those points a lot to make me overall recommend the movie as far as like liking the movie because i i had a lot of fun with it i and i i would i wouldn't necessarily like i said i wouldn't say i was bored in between either like i I think there's enough going on as far as how to creatively stitch together stories as opposed to giving you 
you know, uh, an anthology film, essentially. Like, or I think that could kind of have its ups and downs, and you can have a part that you don't like entirely or what have you. This movie, I think, does a, in the same way that Abe and I enjoyed the Goosebumps movie, it does a clever job of bringing together multiple stories into one film. But when we get to those actual stories, I like the execution. I liked how the horror is handled, and I... I like this. I like the tension that it uses to build to those scenes, especially because like the delivery on them is like, well, it's it's good. Like that, there's a lot of there's a lot of practical monster designs here, which I was impressed with. Specifically, the especially after reading about it, the jangly man, where there's a look to that thing that's unreal, and knowing that it's an actual practical effect, that makes me like it even more. Um, but reg- I mean, it all amounts. Sorry, to- which parts were practical of the jangly man? Because I thought it looked too fakey. See, I, I initially thought that, like, him assembling himself, yeah, that's CG, obviously, but the actual, him moving around, that's an actual person. Like, it's actually, like, there's a, there's some enhancement, perhaps, but, like, there's an actual, oh. like, person do, in a suit. I kind of figured as much, because Del Toro loves practical that's, that's effects. That's the thing, yeah, Del Toro yeah. is a big, you know, proponent of this, and that's, the, and I, that, that's another element that I really respect about this film. I feel like, between Del Toro and Overdog, like, they seem to have, like, a good, their working relationship seems strong enough here to like feel pronounced where like the the creepy stuff feels creepy because they wanted to do what they could with the actual stories the other stuff in between it's whatever it's fine i didn't like i like the characters so like i didn't feel too bad about that as far as getting us from point a to point b and even in how they handle like trying to solve the situation it feels like a kid's plot type of thing as far as like how they would handle this like it feels realistic to how a kid would try to like well, we got to go to the, the the hospital and ask for the files. How do we get the files? I don't know. We'll just ask and see what that like. There's a lot of like stuff like that. Where, <laughs> yeah. But even then, like getting the the setups that that's what I was trying to get to. The setup stuff of some of this of some of the big segments, I really enjoyed. I thought the tension built to get to whatever creepy monster was next was really solid for for a film that's you know aiming to please like a a, a bigger audience than just like straight mm. up horror fans. And so to that, in I that would regard, definitely agree mm-hmm. with that part. Uh, I feel like it's unfair of me to keep comparing it to the original source material, but those parts you're talking about, like the part right, like the moments right before the jangly man shows up, those are the parts that felt most like reading the original stories. The big toe thing, I thought that was terrific. Like as far as all (laughs) the tension that's set up before the thing even like shows up and does whatever it does. Like there's a lot of stuff that works. I also, and I'll let you go next, Dave. I just want to say this real quick. I also like I also like the setting a lot. Like I feel like we've getting we get we I feel like we've been getting a lot of '80s nostalgia things recently. Um, it is a good example of that. Um, among mm-hmm. Stranger Things, of course. So like having a film set in 1968, like that was neat to me. That was that felt like a good that felt like a choice, especially given the context they're trying to place around it as far as using the Vietnam War and constant Nixon imagery. I thought that well, added that added something to it that just felt un- refreshing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just 1968. It's the the days leading up to Nixon's election. It yeah, starts exactly. on Halloween. Mm-hmm. The election was November 5th. It takes place that week. It's a very specific thing. I like yeah. that, too. Abe, where, where were you in this movie? I, I assume you've read the stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as the stories go, I'm, I'm with David. I, I read, uh, I think, I don't know which order it was, but I read two of the books more than one one of the books as well. Um, Out loud to your nieces and nephews. Not yet, because they, they weren't around yet. <laughs> I was probably like eight or nine. But it, it definitely was one of those books where we had it in the in the school library, and they were always checked out. And then whenever you got them back, you know, the pages were all bent and whatever else, and the covers were all bent because it was all soft cover. And it was a great read. They were, they were really fun, and they were just uh, short, and they, they were spooky. And no other book that I ever purchased as a kid in terms of, like, these 
uh, anthology type stories or these collections of, of folklore and uh, tales were ever as scary as, as the way that Alvin Schwartz wrote it. So kudos to him and, and the illustrator for making these books that are super iconic. So it was um, to, I guess, my surprise and, and not so much my chagrin when I heard that this was being created. Uh, I was thinking to myself, great, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see what's going to be produced here because Del Toro uh, loves these types of movies, and as a producer, his track record has been kind of like hit or miss. But yeah, you, you we'll really s- hated Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, but The Orphanage is fantastic. So it's like right, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I honestly still hate that movie, but uh, I, I wouldn't think you'd change. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, when you get into this movie here, the execution of it and uh, everything else. I'm also on David's page where I'm kind of disappointed with this movie. What I am disappointed about is that you have this movie here and they set up this premise in this 1968 town in Pennsylvania. Totally fine. It's whatever. And I was thinking to myself, how are they going to execute this this retelling of all these stories here? Is it going to be a ghost type thing where the stories just all appear in one form or another in the movie? And also, what's the tone of this movie going to be? Um, because as it was going along here, I, I kept on thinking to myself, you know, this movie keeps on wanting to push some of the limits here of being a PG-13 and, and kind of a scary, so to speak. But it's also, some of the stuff is kind of goofy, and I don't know if they, it, like, it just felt like it was more serious than it had to be at times. And I also agree with David that it felt like there were just stepping stones to get to these little vignettes of of what the stories from the from the book are, but there's no real payoff. I mean, honestly, they're too short for me to be thinking uh, for me to to really engross myself in the movie. You know, the story of Harold is one well, of my favorite the stories. Be? I mean, all the stories end with whatever bad thing happens. I mean, what other kind kind of payoff would you expect? I think I think I think I was expecting a little bit more of a a connectedness because it, it felt like you had the stories in between. You had the, the, the teenager story in between of them trying to figure out what this book is and why, why it's basically Scooby-Doo. Like that's how I described it in my review. Like their, their shenanigans <laughs> are basically like Scooby-Doo. Like, Oh, we got to solve this. Like that's what, yeah, to. that's fair. Yeah. And then when they do get to the part where another story being written by Sarah Bellows, that part is, you know, it's, it just doesn't really feel like uh, it's part of the same movie. So then you get back to the regular teenage stuff and they're honestly like all the, all the actors are like, okay, there's like a funny comic relief guy and he's fine. And uh, yeah, uh, Stella, the actress, uh, Zoe, she's given a lot, but I didn't find her very likable in this movie. I didn't really find like, there's a dramatic arc between her and her dad. And I was like, why is this even here? There's like a love interest in this movie. And I was like, why is this here? Um, I, I just, and she's the one that created all these problems and she's just I really, that she's entirely responsible for everything that happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I just, I, I could not find like a, a common, uh, understanding or, or footing with her just to be like, okay, cool. I'm on your side. And at the end of the movie, this is my last point at the end of the movie, I thought of other movies that were of the same tone of the same kind of like storyline that I liked much better. One of them being Paranorman, and that's like a, a completely whole story, way more dramatic, way more scary to some degree, and way more like in-depth of this this nemesis that they have to go through. Um, so unfortunately, I, I didn't jive with this movie. 
I would also say that I thought of Paranorman. I thought of that as the first movie you watch, then you step up to this movie. Like, it, it, it was like a natural kind of, like, or I guess we put goosebumps in between there, too. Like, I felt like that'd be a nice little trilogy for somebody that's, like, getting into horror. Yeah. But I, I can't say I agree about the tone, where I think, like, if you're mentioning goofy stuff or comedies, like, that's any horror movie. Most horror movies. Totally. That's, that's fair. That's how you cut the tension. If it's not going to be a scare, it's going to be with something to lighten the mood before you get back to something that's scary again. Like, mm-hmm. I... I, I don't disagree with what either of you are saying as far as the kind of the filler stuff, but I, I didn't dislike the filler stuff. And I thought the movie moved along at a nice enough, a nice enough pace, and the performance were like heightened enough in a way where I, I understand this isn't like a real world, where I was just with it. Where <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And the movie's only so long as opposed to like it, which maybe you know I didn't like, where it feels like it goes on a long time. And the You're going to be felt... thrilled for the four-hour cut <laughs> on DVD. The tone felt all over the place in that movie, and the scares felt they like this movie feels like it's trying to be like creepy, where it felt like it's doing just like a, let's just pop out every now and then and do something. Yeah, you and like, I felt the same way about there's, it. There's no real atmosphere in that movie that felt consistent to me. Where this movie, to me, felt consistent in what it's trying to do. It's not, it's not becoming a new horror classic right away, but I still enjoyed the kind of what kind of situation we're in and here are these big segments that really highlight something that I can look forward to seeing. Like I felt like it was a ride. It felt like a roller coaster as far as like I go up, I get all this scary stuff or whatnot, then I go down for a while and I do whatever. Like it that all worked. I I, I was just into it. Yeah, I, I, I guess think that ride that... go ahead. Sorry, I think that, that, that ride element is and I, I guess the thing is like comedy horror and what is scary to people is very subjective and changes a lot on a person sure. to person basis. And so I think the the fact that this is it's a horror movie, but it's also almost kind of like an adventure thriller. You know, it's got like a yeah. car chase in it and like and stuff like that. Like to me, that that sort of like the more that character the the more in a horror movie, the more that it seems the characters have the means to fight back. And the less scared I am by it, like I'm more scared when it feels hopeless. You know. Um, Aaron, you and I were talking briefly after this about the um, the pale lady. That was to me probably the, the scariest one that felt reading the books because um, because the pale lady isn't even really malevolent. She just yeah, is, she's and there's no like, getting away from her, and it's terrifying. That that's right. terrifying to me. And so I, I think what we're yeah, it's always difficult to judge what is scary in a movie because everyone's scared by by different by different things. You know, I sure. tend not to yeah. be scared. I tend not to be scared by stuff that's not supernatural. If it's real, then I'm like, well, you can defeat it. I'm more scared by uh, by supernatural stuff that. So does, you're saying you like Halloween uh, no four and beyond? From... <laughs> I think I saw Halloween six. I, I'm not a big. Uh, I don't know that stuff. <laughs> uh, well, it's because like that's when you find out that Michael Myers is just, like supernatural. He can't die. But I mean, parts... you know that when there's a sequel to Halloween, that's when you know Michael Myers can't die. But, yeah. Uh, what if he just rolled away into the bushes, all all hurting from part one? I mean, that's what Halloween H4O presupposes, so... I mean, <laughs> um, um, well, I did want to add just very quickly that I like the hard elements, the hard horror elements of this movie, and I really found that in one scene where the jangling man comes through and there's, like, a cop there, I was like, this is amazing! Uh, but then, again, that that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie feels like 
I'll use your words, David, like an action action adventure type type darker action adventure type movie. I can't say and, the rest of the movie. Like I could say towards like maybe the end, but like the most of the movie is all of them being terrified of whatever crazy things coming at them. There's nothing action adventure about the guy the the big toe thing or the girl with the spiders coming out of her face. Like they're all yeah, terrified yeah. of this stuff. Like they, Oh yeah, that was a good one too. Or or Harold. I mean I, again the if there's an adventure aspect to it it comes down to the in-between stuff more later on once they figure out sure. what they're trying to do and then towards the end just because it's a race against time type of situation but like a good three-fourths of this movie is dedicated to there's terrible things happening that these kids cannot stop which to me is scary like <laughs> i mean for a movie like this which again i think is average I still think it's fun in what it's trying to do, and you have to conclude it some way, so you can't just keep having the same thing happen. So yeah, it's going to become more of a adventure race against time type of situation. I wanted totally to add, understandable. I wanted to add it. Gil Bellows plays the police chief, and because mm. of my my lack of knowledge regarding the scary story story, I was thinking, is Sarah Bellows the author of these books, and is Gil Bellows <laughs> related to her in some way? I was like, oh, that's completely wrong. That's just a weird coincidence. <laughs> um, let's talk about the setting a little bit more, because I pointed out the 60s, 68. Mm-hmm. Spain, yeah, sure. And David, you point, you noted specifically where it is in 68. Did, did you appreciate the setting of the film and how it handled that? You know, I, I uh, like that uh, it was... Oh, yeah. I keep thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't... Are you saying Dave or Abe? <laughs> Said Abe. Got it. I never I, say Dave. <laughs> I did like that they were in like small town Pennsylvania. I didn't really think that it really mattered much after they told me that it was there, though. Sure, the cars are there and the setting is there from the sixties and seven or the sixties, I'd say sixty eight. Um, the cars are there and the and the the clothes are there, but there's no real. I mean, aside from maybe like hospitals being scarier or or the red room being like you know ridiculous and. Uh, I didn't really feel like the the, um, the the additional weight of it. I guess you could say that, yeah, there's no way for them to communicate via cell phone and whatever else, but, um, you I mean, know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm less thinking about, like, the design of the world and more of just, like, yeah, what's production going design on. here is great, you know. No, I, mean, I mean, I understand. I'm saying I'm less thinking about, like, period accuracy as far as the look of everything i'm thinking more of just the idea of when this is and what it's trying to because I, I yeah I, I would say my mind was moving more because of all the vietnam stuff going on like i was thinking how is this connecting to this story and i found that to be interesting where it's i found time, that to be like overbearing and sometimes i was like i, I get it i, I get agree. it I, I i thought that was that made it more interesting to me than a movie that doesn't do any of that at all where it, it totally, has, totally. It, yeah, yeah. It but I'm saying like I, I understood it the first six thousand times you showed me. I didn't have to see it twelve thousand more times. <laughs> yeah, it knocks it over. That again, it's an average movie for me. But I, I still like it. Still has ideas in its head as opposed to other movies where it just like something like Ouija, which is basically the same as far as there's a mystical uh-huh. object and it's doing crap and why. This movie's uh-huh. like trying to tell you something about like the American dream's dying because kids are going off to war and Nixon's coming in and there's all kinds of implications that go on with that. Like David, and any we'll, on we'll that? throw some lightweight I, racism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, that's a great intro to because I have I'm a very very much of two minds about the 1968 setting. I think yeah. the the one thing that it does like think about how the movie starts. You've got Nixon campaign posters in which someone has graffitied the X and Nixon into swastikas. Right. Um, right at the very beginning of the movie, you've got, as as I pointed out, the uh, anti-Latinx discrimination um, and, and racism. And so you've got, it's like, it's a time of divided America and hatred and, and all this stuff. That I felt like was, I felt the movie was like 
see, it's like today, but didn't have anything to say about it. So that I thought was a little halfway there. Right. But the Vietnam stuff, I actually thought was much better, uh, much more deeply explored because you hear on the radio, uh, an anti-Vietnam uh, radio host talking about, you know, put a stop to this war. And then he says something about, let's stop sending our children to die. And this is a movie in which children are dying because of something that's not really their fault. You can say, yes, it's, uh, it's the girl's fault because she stole. She took the know. book. Um, <laughs> but, but in general, I, I think the the idea of past generations being shitty and then current youth feeling the brunt of that, that I felt was really interesting. So I liked, I, I definitely liked the, the way young people dying in Vietnam was compared to young people dying uh, in fictional Mill Valley, Pennsylvania. Uh, I thought, I thought that was an interesting allegory. The other stuff, a little half-assed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I, I agree there. And I think the, the biggest issue I had was, I won't kind of delve into it, but the ending, there's a character that makes a choice of where to go next. And I was like, how does that add up? In my mind, like I can't, I couldn't reconcile that. Mm. As far as curious, where you're going to go with that one? Because I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think. Well, I, what, I think I know what you're saying. Well, well yeah. a couple characters leave town, and one makes a very specific choice regarding what we're talking about. It's like, well, why would that be the like the natural decision? After I guess to prove something to themselves, but it's like, okay, I, interesting. That's where, that's where it speaks to. I, I think as far as like how far you're going with this, it, but also shows me the influence of like Del Toro being a very part, big part of the story, and like what he's trying to include here. Right. Um, and it's like it's coming a couple weeks after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also a film about like the American, you know, the, the kind of the death of innocence in some way. So it's like there's there's ideas here, like whether or not they're cashed in on completely, like okay, but like there's the semblance of effort for something like this matters to me somewhat when it comes to like a horror movie that could just be whatever. Um, I'll also add there's a part where they go to a drive-in and they play Night of the Living Dead. And I'm like, well, that's very era-appropriate. It would be the time when Night of the Living Dead would be out in in, the, in drive-in theaters at the same Which time. Which also has a good political uh, message. Yes, it does. At the same time, they keep cutting back to it and they keep showing scenes way out of order. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, they can't, they had to do multiple takes. I knew, I know this movie too well. So like, they're showing like scenes of this movie. And it's like, this doesn't, no, this is not when this would happen or what have you. But uh, yeah. that's here. That's here. They're there. That's just something. I yeah. Quick question for you guys. And it, it was also, I don't know if you noticed the marquee. Night of the Living Dead was second on the bill. Yeah. The, uh, the terror. To right? the terror. First. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The terror, which is, uh, I'm looking up. I would have already been five years old at that point. Yeah. Where did where that would be top? Well, movies, I mean, for drive-ins especially, movies would play that way as far as, like, just having extended lifespan. Then you play the, I guess the ordering, yeah. I guess. I get what you're saying. It's, a, it's almost like a boxing match. You know, you, you build up to the uh, the main event. But then again, Night of the Living Dead was, like, a B movie. That was the idea. So it would be, like, be in the B movie yeah. spot. Where, like, the oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, question. For you guys, were were there uh, things that you found pretty cool with this movie in terms of like the the scare factor stuff? The creature example, design, I think the creature the, design is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, but I think the other thing that I liked about this was when he finds like that wax reel, and I was like, oh, this is a clever, this is a, a clever way for them to continue that that storytelling uh, within the book. And I was like, that's that's fun. But uh, just curious if you guys found like other other elements of the i a movie I, I liked the writing in the book like how it just the stories just started to be written like i thought yeah. that was a neat effect like that that was yeah. that was neat to me um i already mentioned the pale lady sequence i like that i like the big toe yeah okay 
I, I mean, I, me I mentioned this already, but, like, the kid style of handling things is like, well, I can't open my window. Uh, the bed. I'll get under the bed. That'll do. Like, it's just like, I get it. Yeah. Like, I, I, in the in a heightened situation like that, adrenaline's high. You don't know what to do. You're, you know, 11 or whatever. You're in high school. I guess they're in high school. So you're 14. He's in high school. Yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> but it's like, he's a really tall 11-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, that actor was really good too. By the way, who played Augie? Yeah, I liked I like Augie. Him. I liked him. the The Chuck guy, I got used to after a while. The, like the it took jokester. Me a bit. Yeah. yeah, it took me a little bit to get used to that. But it's like, well, I guess he's supposed to be obnoxious. He's that age. Like that makes sense. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but, but he he did seem, uh, you know, maybe it's the actor's youth or whatever. He didn't seem like 1968 comic relief friend. He seemed a little too. Oh no, too I, I, I would say most of the kids are all like. There's a colloquialism that's certainly of this era as opposed to calling that like yeah. they didn't go method and study you know, the 60s they didn't study like american graffiti or what have you to like really prep for this really movie. nailed down the vernacular exactly yeah. i, I want to ask you guys about there's a certain segment at the end there where um not, not i'm not not going to spoiler territory but there's just something that happens to one of the characters, and I, I didn't really understand part of it because, you know, they, they see themselves in a mirror at one point, and I got confused as to what was going on. Um, like, almost as if, like, you know, is this is this a story that just, like, is circular in nature? It just keeps on happening because one of the people just has been in the story for all time, so to speak. I don't know if you guys get what I'm saying here. I know what you're saying. I'll just but say that I've seen I was enough curious, horror like, movies. How that to... out. I'll just say there's. I've seen enough horror movies to know that that's not really an original idea as far as... No, totally, yeah. yeah. It, I, I didn't like it because something else happens later in that sequence, and I was like, what is going on here? Because uh, how could this How could this be happening here unless it was something else, but it was the not best, that something else. The, the best I can say is that in a movie like this, the threats are designed to mess with you like they're designed to make you see things that you can't believe or what have you and that's just how you have to kind of accept the world at that point that's fine yeah unfortunate but fine yeah because <laughs> it would have been cool if it was if, if they went deeper i guess that's where i'm i'm tiptoeing around just it's things of you know this movie wasn't crazy like they didn't they didn't like fully enthrall themselves in just being like family fun horror movie but they did go into uh, the realm of like let's just try and push this as much as we can did but you watch they, um the haunting of hill house on netflix the mike flanagan adaptation of i the didn't haunting. i think you told me to but i did not watch it david did you no I, I would say that does a very good because that that's a show that it goes back and forth between two time periods. One when like all there's the mother and the father and all the kids are their kids, and uh -huh. then it goes to forward where they're all adults and they have to reckon with the things they saw as kids. Isn't that and, isn't that sort of the same thing like with um this is the director that where the, like some some girl does something with like a, an apple and a light bulb. I can't tell what, what you're talking about. Oh, I I'm sorry. <laughs> like she's would, trying to bite into an apple, but it was really a light bulb. Oh, uh, Oculus. Yeah, isn't that sort of like the same thing where they... Well, that's they the same direct, but they're both Mike Flanagan things. Oh, wow. Uh, there you go, Abe. But, I mean, it, it is crossing two time periods right, in that right, regard. Right. Yes, I see that, what you're that's, saying. That's more the point that I'm saying. Yeah, well, what I'm, what, I mean, the thing you're describing about this movie as far as, like, circular natures of things or what have you, I think the hunt, mainly because that's a 12, you know, it's a 10-episode series, so it has a lot of time to really develop these ideas or what have you. It really capitalizes on that kind of concept as far as seeing into the past before you were ready to or what have you and exploring the characters from that nature but again you have multiple hours to explore six main characters or what have you so yeah it. it's also just a really good series i'd recommend it for sure if you okay. want to watch something very horry and uh kind of be a bigger kind of a massive because that was like a big hit back in last year yeah. when it came out in october 
Um, and the last question I have for you guys is, could this have worked as kind of just a regular anthology type, like a trick-or-treat type, where they're just, they know these stories, and then it just happens, it throughout, it just plays out throughout the, the movie kind of thing. Even trick-or-treat, I, I mean, that's that's threaded together. Like, there is a narrative there. It's told yeah. out of order. It's told non-chronologically on purpose, but I do... I, and again, I think that would be like the next step up from this movie is because that movie, right. is, it's not wild. It's yeah. not, it's R, but it's not like, it's not horrifically R. Like it does its job with what Some it's trying Some nudity, yeah. But, um. And the original stories are so short. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, some yeah, of these, like some, some, some of them are less than a page long, you know? Yeah. Um, so you'd be telling like a. Like the, the, what's that? I was going to say, you'd be telling, like, a, what's the anthology series? It's, like, 22 short films or whatever, like, the one that's, like, it's oh, every letter. Oh, the ABCs know. of Death? The ABCs of Death. Oh. Yeah, something more like that, where it's, like, really short stories. Because, yeah. like, the, the the original Big Toe story is so short, the version in the movie adds stuff to it. Right. <laughs> like, it's it's longer in the in the one scene in the movie than it is on the on the page in Alvin Schwartz's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like at least with like like goosebumps, those are full stories, but they still like turn that into like one main narrative and they just sure. incorporate like the monsters from it. Like I like that choice too. Here, the way you guys are describing it, it's like yeah, it doesn't see like it feels like it'd be overwhelming to have like pack in ten different stories, all of characters that you know you only see for like a couple minutes. Yeah, I feel like that'd be overkill. Yeah, so like I that's I like the approach here. I like how yeah. they did this to make this movie work and the minimal effort they may have done to kind of connect it all together let alone add some thematic value to it. I appreciate for for this movie, I appreciated that. Okay. Alright. When should people go and see this movie? Sorrow of David. Um, I mean I guess if it's streaming at some point and you already have a subscription to the thing and you like horror, maybe see it then. I don't I don't go out of your way. Abe? Yeah, I would kinda of say that there's like a Netflix thing as well. I don't deny that. I do think it could work for adults just because like there's a there's an audience value in this too as far as collectively being in on the scares that are taking place but i think it also works in you know just at, well, at home in the dark so you know either way but like i had fun i had fun with this movie so. yeah can i can i soapbox for a moment sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my soapbox moment is when you're at a theater and it's assigned seating and somebody <laughs> buys that seat don't be a jerk and get all riled up that somebody took a seat just because uh, you don't have that seat. So at my screening, some people were already seated. The movie had started. They were already going trick-or-treating. On the screen, the kids were already trick-or-treating. Some guy, like, in his early 20s, was there trying to, like, showboat for his girlfriend, went up to, like, the the handicapped seats, which are in front of the railing, and was like, hey, you know, my girl is handicapped. You You guys take these seats. Like, they probably bought those seats, you know, and your girlfriend doesn't look handicapped. She's walking regularly. And he made a point to make a, a show about tipping over their popcorn and their drinks. And I was like, dude, this guy needs a hug. But don't be that guy because that's rude. And also those people, you've ruined their night. You, they came opening weekend. So you're saying it's someone that, so someone's complaining about seats that they didn't buy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I thought you were going the reverse on that. It's like someone took someone else's seats that they bought. No, no, no. Okay. Like, they bought those seats fair and square, and then he had the audacity to go down to somebody else and, and yell loudly, like, hey, you got to scoot over because these guys took my girl's seats. I was like, that's probably not true. You know what I mean? Like, they would have gotten out if they were not their seats. But now you just ruined, like, a lot of people's time, and, uh, you know, now you're a jerk. So don't be that guy. Yeah, this guy sounds like a jerk, but I will say 
just because someone doesn't appear disabled doesn't mean they're not. Just, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Lay that out. Sure, sure. I'd yeah. Also, I'd also add, like, does this person that was showboating know what the situation is of the people that took those seats? No, I don't know either. Exactly. Yeah, right. So yeah. Right, yeah. But just you know, just talk it out. Use your words. Is my point. Use your words. Because there's always a solution. And that's been So don't moment. you're saying don't knock over people's popcorns. That was the rudest part because he, that's he clearly your, that's your stance. Effect. Well that's that's beyond rude. That's like very mean to do. Like <laughs> so yeah, that's something someone's I, paid for. I knew that it was like a showboat that. thing because he knocked it over to like be tough to these two guys. Uh, and then like he apologized to the people behind because he probably got some on their shoe. Um so it was one of those moves where it's just like clearly not he's actually not mad, he's just doing it just to puff his chest. I was like Dude, chill out. There's your did route. He get, like, did he get removed from the theater? So he went to go sit back down, and then he and his girlfriend just like left. And then the guy, yeah. like one, one of the guys, went to go get security, and security was like too late to be like uh, to catch them. But I was like, now you, look, you've just ruined like you've ruined your own night, and now you've ruined these two other people's nights as well. So good job, guy. Yeah, toxic masculinity. Exactly. Thank you, David. That was a soapbox moment. Okay. Let's move. Abe, what what time is it now? Uh, Aaron, it's time for a quick game here. What you don't know is that's actually the original. Uh, what are those called? Ring boxes, ballerina boxes, juke boxes uh, that Lulu had at her house. That was the original uh, sound for that box. Music box. Music boxes. Oh, I was waiting yeah. for you to get it. Okay. <laughs> that was you the got a quick game for you guys <laughs> it's called Top 5 Story Edition. This is a game in which I will read you guys the top five uh, IMDb-listed actors or actresses in this movie. And if you guys know the name of the movie in which they are... are or, or the name of the movie that I'm describing from the actors, uh, buzz in with your name and tell me the name. And What's obviously, the all of the themes... Yeah, the theme is that all these movies have the term story or stories in them. Okay, so you're going to read as cast members from a movie that has the word story in them in some capacity. And we're going to title the movie. And we have to guess what the movie is. Right. Okay. First things first. Wallace Shawn. Jim Varney. Don Rickles. Aaron. Aaron. Toy Story. I I was waiting to see if you are going to add a number. It is Toy Story. Uh, Next one here. Richard Griffiths, Russell Brand, Guy Pierce, Carrie Russell, Adam Sandler, Aaron, Aaron, Bedtime Stories. That is also correct. Bedtime Stories. Never seen that movie. Ah. So you're reading I, up from the bottom up. On yeah, these yeah. Five, yeah. five to, uh, top five, but uh, the top yeah. build is the last person. I see. Next one here. Okay, I got it. So there's no Richard Griffiths lead <laughs> starring role? <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter and uh, the... Ha- he wasn't even starring. The, uh, was it called History of Boys or something? Wasn't that him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next one here. Donald Glover. Amelia Clark. Woody Harrelson. Jonas Sotomano. So to Mamo. Aaron. Aaron. Solo a Star Wars story. That is correct. 
Oh, uh, next one. Here. I, I got it from the Swedish gentleman. That you pronounced. <laughs> next one here. George Chikaris, Rita Moreno, Russ Tamblin, Aaron, Aaron, West Side. West Side Story is correct. Man, uh, I know that David is trying. I know that I can feel it. I, I usually do well with the games on this show. I, I'm really getting both of those here. You, you might get this one. Grover Colson. Kanisha Thompson. Malcolm Sethus Jr. Rooney Mara. Casey Affleck. David. David. Wait. Aaron, did you just let me get this one? No, I was I, I got I thought of another movie and I was wrong and I was like, that doesn't have story in the title. But go. <laughs> David. Uh, it's uh, a ghost story. A ghost story is correct. I thought of a uh, different next... movie, but I was like, that's not story. That's never mind. Megan Dodds. Patrick Godfrey. Dugray Scott. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron. Ever after a Cinderella story? That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> the Grace Scott. Grace Scott really gave it away. <laughs> the Grace. The, the Grace Scott's. A, it's a good poll for me. <laughs> but no, the good poll was you remembering that that movie has a subtitle. Oh, I'm, exactly. Worry, when it comes to being titles, full titles, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> a few more here. Uh, Chip Hornus, Connor Rayburn. Tim Meadows, John C. Riley, Aaron, Aaron, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That is correct. I'm never gonna get any of these that where it's in the subtitle. I'm never like, <laughs> I don't ever remember that. You might get this one. There's two left. Nancy Kwan, Michael Learned, Robert Wagner, Lauren Holly, Jason Scott Lee. Aaron. Aaron. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? That is correct as well. And the last one here. I'm putting that down, David. Uh, that's, that's not all that I'm doing. All right, last one here. <laughs> last one here. Justin Long. Rip Torn. Ben Stiller. <laughs> Christine Taylor. Aaron. <laughs> Dodgeball, a true underdog story. That is correct. <laughs> and with that, unfortunately, that was a runaway by Aaron. But David, you got one, and that's all that I care. Yeah, the one that is on the subtitle. Uh, where, yeah, on. where it's actually the title of the movie. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Why couldn't you? Where's uh, where's L.A. Story? Uh, uh, I don't know. I can think of New York <laughs> stories. This is all very true. Next time, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, West Side Story had it in the title. Yeah, that's true. I should have got that one. I mean, Man, I usually hold my own in these games. Um, I don't Next know. Time. I don't know, guys. This might be my final appearance. No, no you, got, you, got, you got one. That's what that's what you need. When you get and none, that's, all that's, that's only scratch you off the list. You're shamed. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. That was games. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers, and then they gave us questions that we could answer. 
Uh, David, feel free to chime in when you want to here. we got a few questions to go. Oh, I will. First question is, uh, have you read Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? What's your favorite story from it? Uh, or horror short story in general? And Michael writes The Bride, which was uh, a pretty solid story. Yeah, that's Any one of my favorites, too. Scary stories from you guys? I mean, like, I, I haven't read these books, but I can go with just... just I mean, I, I was a big... um, Still, I, I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, so I've read a lot of his yeah. short stories. and Those are way darker. <laughs> yeah, for obvious reasons. <laughs> and I and I was like, I didn't know these this these series of stories, but I knew Goosebumps. Like I had Goosebumps books. Like I yeah. wasn't anyone particularly like terrifying me, but like the Haunted Mask always does stand out. David, favorite story? Uh, the one, yeah, The Bride is a good one. The one that I always remember, I think it's it's from the second book, but it's the guy who um, suddenly comes to like realizes he's walking, finds himself walking around oh, downtown, yeah, 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 yeah. doesn't know how he got there, and he goes to ask people how to get home or what time it is and every person who sees him shakes and runs away in terror and he finally makes it home or sees a newspaper or something to only so and sees that he died in a car accident yeah uh, it was actually uh i i i thought that you brought that one up because the way that that story ends is the way that your story ends where he calls home and somebody says that he's been dead for like two days or something like that. yeah but i think that it was just that um so much about what i like about these the way that Alvin Schwartz tells these stories is atmosphere like it, it, it he has no idea what time it is what day right uh, there's something very very spooky uh about that there's also the one very similar one where the woman wakes up early for church and accidentally accidentally goes to oh yeah like a mass for the dead yeah. she's the only living person and it's all ghosts in the oh. in the church um that yeah that's a, that's a cool one too the one that I like a lot in this is, uh, is when the guy who's staying over at some haunted house with his dogs um, and then he sees the eyes. He pulls the guns from under his pillow, and uh, the reveal is he shot his own. He shot his own toes off. Yeah. So you're supposed to like scream at that point if you're reading it aloud. <laughs> Don't some of the stories end with like ah, like that's like the last thing they say. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to, you, as the reader, uh, you just embellish that, and then the, the the crowd gets scared. That makes me think of like Monty Python, where it's like he just he wrote ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a chapter I think in each book that's a collection of stories that you're supposed to tell aloud. All right, next question we have here: What films do you enjoy involving possessed household items? Justin writes Ghostbusters, The Toaster. That'd be Ghostbusters too. Uh, Rachel writes Forky. <laughs> Chris has Electric Carving Knife and Maximum Overdrive, and Michael Lee, friend of the show, has The Internet from Unfriended. That's a that's a wide one. Yeah. Possessed household items. I don't know. I can't think of any. I mean, you mentioned Poltergeist earlier. There's a number of things in there. Your your creepy. Clown. Yeah, I guess I didn't want to go back to that. No, fair that enough. Well. I, but I'm mentioning it now, so I'll, I'll stick yeah. with it. <laughs> the TV. <laughs> They're here. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of. Uh, uh, well, I can't. Um, the. Uh, photo album with the photos that come to life in in it um yeah, yeah. that one's fine that's pretty yeah. Creepy. yeah yeah especially that's a that's a scene more I so liked. in the yeah uh next question what are your favorite horror movie anthologies uh irene has creep show chris has yep creep show parts of the vhs series have been good yeah i, I enjoy creep show I uh oh sorry uh, i was gonna say mario Bava's um black sabbath is the uh, is great there you go um if you're, you like Trick or Treat. Yeah, I was going to say, we previously mentioned Trick or Treat. Big fan of it. I, I think VHS 2 is uh, pretty spectacular. There's 
it's all killer. Better no than filler. one, huh? It's, it's all killer, no filler in that one. Yeah, yeah they're they're all good. Got but it. The, and the Gareth Evans one, director of the raid, like him yep. and um, tough to watch. It's it it's it's intense. <laughs> it's yeah. a very intense movie. A short film. Uh, next question we have here: What are some movie trios you really enjoy? Leaves writes Charlie's Angels, Ripley, Bishop, and the Alien. <laughs> uh, Justin has Ferris Bueller, Three Amigos, and the City Slickers count. Of course, sure. sure. Yeah, well, you got Three Bill Kirby and Crystal and Daniel Stern. That's a that's a trio. <laughs> yeah, this is a relationship. Jack Powers, uh, uh, Triangle, and Jules and Jim. I'm gonna go all huh? There you go. Uh, you know, pretentious. Pretension doesn't exist on here. It would only exist on Battleship Pretension. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that was a that was a, a lame joke. <laughs> um, next question: uh, What are your favorite gangster films? Sarah writes: There is no question. The Godfather. Heard of Adam it. has The Godfather, Casino, Mean Streets, Goodfellas, and Scarface. Chris has Legend, Lockstock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Snatch, Layer Cake, Miller's Crossing, and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Scott uh, writes, White Heat, Godfathers 1 and 2, Goodfellas, Casino, Little Caesar, Key Largo. Justin has those listed, plus Reservoir Dogs, The Departed, and Donnie Brasco. And lastly, Allen has The Godfather, The Departed, Casino, and Goodfellas. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, love here for like four or five films. I'll throw some Mean Streets on top well, of that Well, I'm going to go... Uh, yeah. There was also a very New York centric list, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna rep for Chicago. It wouldn't, I, I, I would be off brand of me to not go to the bat for, go to bat for Michael Mann, and also, um, which film? Miller, Miller's Crossing. Which, which Michael Mann film? The Public Enemies. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. Dillinger. Thief. I'll throw Thief in there. As far as Michael Mann oh, goes. I, I, you know, I've never seen Thief. Oh, Thief's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad that you're repping hometown Chicago. It's always fun. And uh, yeah. I'd say, like, you know, across the pond, we had Layer Cake there. I, I didn't rock and roll it, which Aaron and I really like. We're, we are rock and roll fans on this podcast. Yeah. Um, let's see. Next question we have here. What are some films you enjoy featuring tension between female characters? Adam writes, Widows, A League of Their Own, and The Help. And Alan adds, Widows, as well. Tension between female characters? Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, like, narrow it down. Yeah. Broad something question. more specific. I'd say... Uh, Death Becomes Her? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. Oh, damn. That's a good one. I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Mean Girls. Mean, mean Girls? That's a good one. That works. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we come to questions that the audience asks us for the panel today. Uh, Nguyen asks, who is the best creature performer? Well, David and I have both met uh, Doug Jones, uh-huh. uh, who is quite the creature performer. He, is he also seven feet tall? He's very tall. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Doug Jones is obvious answer. Uh, there's another guy who also did an episode of Buffy that I want to uh, um, highlight. He did a couple of episodes. But you guys answer. Uh, I'll come back to him. Uh, I would add in, um, uh, what's his face? Kevin something from Predator, because, you know, he's also seven feet tall. Kevin Peter Hall. Yeah. Kevin Peter Hall, thank you. Yeah, He, he gets a cameo as a... And Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, they, they, you know... Uh, very solid uh, performance by John Lithgow in the movie. I mean, Andy Serkis is a standout as well, but I mean, as far as... I mentioned Doug Jones just because the lengths he goes to to kind of be inside of costumes for hours at a time or whatnot, go through the whole makeup process, and still, like, you know, act at all at the same time. I mean, he was doing some uh, uh, some swing dancing, um, ballroom dancing in, in 
I can't remember the name of the best picture winner from two years ago now. Shape of Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Thank you. <laughs> shape of Water. Yeah. 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 Um, so the guy I was trying to think of uh, is named Camden Toy. Uh, um, and he. I don't know if you guys are Buffy fans, but in the Buffy season, same place I think it's called. He's the monster that paralyzes people and then eats strips of their stomach skin. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. One by one. It's, that does not yeah. sound pleasant. And then, and then in um, season four of Angel, he's the uh, big spider-legged guy killing people and, like, plastering the wall with their with their skin, and he, like, was from Jan's former home planet. I don't know if you guys are Angel fans. These but, are um, dark uh, Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, yes. Doug Jones, Doug Jones. He's a great friend of Battleship Retention, an awesome guy. But I always yeah. want to call out Cam. One, but two of my favorite Buffyverse characters of all time, creatures of all time. Very cool. Next question we have is from Michael Lee. He asks, which scary story, either from the films or the books, would you have, would you hate, love to be a part of? Uh... I mean the the what's the one with the the big uh, the pale lady one? No, yeah, I don't want to be involved in that at all. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, hmm. I don't. I mean, none of them seem appealing. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're scary that, that stories just, in the dark. But... I, I told, I described this to you. I don't like the idea of turn everywhere I turn, there it is. Like that's not that that, that feels less unfair than the well, rest yeah. of them to me. But see, this is also thing I said to you after the movie. I think you're missing the point. I, I get the it. point. It just feels especially cruel. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely afraid of all of them. Uh, next question: Brian asks, "Why are alligator bites so inaccurate in Crawl?" I, I can't. I can't attest to them being inaccurate in Crawl. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to think they did their work. <laughs> and I'm curious if he means like you know a couple of the main characters get bitten a few times, minus like the water thrashing. It doesn't seem like it's chomping right through their bone. So I don't know. I don't know, Brian. Well, I mean, that's it's also. Well, a... I, I haven't seen been bitten by an alligator, so I don't know. There you go. That's a, that's the best answer. There we go. <laughs> Justin asks, have any of you subscribed to Shudder? I did because it was 40 bucks for the year. It's not bad, but they need more content and fast. Uh, I think I detailed this a few weeks ago. on the. I, I had Shudder for a, like a week because I wanted to watch the, the, the horror noir documentary about um, the use of black people in horror films, and which I thought was pretty terrific. But I... I like what the service had offered. It's just that I own so much horror myself where it's like, I didn't feel like a necessity to keep owning it. That's it. I know they're starting like, Oh, at a creep show, um, mm-hmm. TV series among other, like they're much like any other streaming service. They're going to start creating more original content to go with the, the library of content they already have. So I think it just comes down to what do you know? You, you know, you can spend money on versus what you feel is appealing to you about said streaming service. So from from what I've seen with Shutter, like they're good. It's just I don't personally need to have it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have it. It seems cool. My uh, code has it for him. Yeah, I've never subscribed to it myself, but I've heard mixed reviews on it. Forty dollars for for something that needs more content and fast seems like a lot, though. For a year, not like it's. Oh, long. forty dollars for the year. Okay. Yeah, the year. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be like, a that's lot. Not, that's not terrible then. If Disney's giving you their service for like seven bucks a month, $7 yeah, forty a bucks month. A, yeah. forty bucks would be excessive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question here from uh, friend of the show Adam Gentry. Lately, I've been wondering how do you guys stay fit and trim. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions, and my answer is I've been trying to regularly get some more cardio in Adam, because you know I, I I'm losing the whole entire fit and trim part. Good for the body, good for the soul. Exactly, Campbell soup. All right, let's. That was, that's enough of that. Let's. How's that enough feedback? Feedback, feedback, feedback. 
let's get to uh, let's get to some out now presents was out now these are movies that are coming out on blu-ray dvd 4k streaming and all that this week uh feel free to give a yay or nay to these as i go through them uh first up avengers endgame yeah sure see it D- david yeah. you're a huge fan of avengers endgame aren't you? <laughs> No, I was a huge fan of Avengers: Infinity War, and I and I felt that uh, Endgame was a letdown. I, I feel that way too. I mean, not a huge letdown, maybe not not on your level, but it's definitely one of those things where like I like Infinity War quite a bit, and I only and I was like, I, I think uh, Endgame is okay. And I'm the reverse. Yeah. Uh, next up, All Is True. This is the Kenneth Branagh directed film, I believe. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, yeah it's. Uh... It's it's fine. Uh, if you're into Kenneth Brun is your thing. I mean, it's it's Shakespeare in retirement. It's uh, <laughs> so you get to you get to see some good acting. You've got one scene uh, from um um oh, oh I'm a blank. Ian Callan is in one scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a really good highlight. It's yeah, it's a it's a fine, well acted movie. Okay. And uh, Shadow. This is the new film from Zhang Zhang Yimou. Um, which I really want to see, um, but I haven't yet. Is that one? Do you? Any of you see yeah. Shadow? No, I haven't seen it yet. I like Zhang Yimou though. Yeah. Uh, let's see on TV. You got The Blacklist season six and Riverdale season three. Good job. Um, uh, on Criterion, you have The Inland Sea this week. On uh, Shout Factory, you have Galaxy of Terror, Forbidden, Forbidden World, and Vice Squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Kino, you have a Hitchcock film called Murder, with an exclamation point. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, let's see, at Warner Brothers Archive, you have Wagon Master, uh, old John Ford film, and Moonfleet from Fritz Lang. I really That's want to read name. that because it's called Moonfleet. Exactly. Yeah. It is a great name. <laughs> and it's a Fritz Lang movie, so I'm like, what is this? I need to see what this is. <laughs> and also, I think making its Blu-ray debut, Abre Los Ojos, the um, original film that Vanilla Sky was, oh, yeah. ad- was adapted from. Um, okay. Starring Penelope Cruz. And on 4K, you have a number of Marvel films to go with Avengers Endgame. You got Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, plus Thor and Thor the Dark World. So if you haven't got the. If you've been waiting for to get those on 4K, you can do it this week now. Okay. Lastly, uh, or not yet, uh, on streaming, we have uh, a couple things. We have something called Woo Assassins on Netflix. This is a, a series starring Iko Uwe, so of the Raid films. Yeah, I, I saw that, but I was reading some weird, like, Asian controversy over about it over the weekend, but haven't given it a shot yet. I was just intrigued because, like, Iko Uwe's is a part of I know, of he's blowing up! Yeah, he's like, oh, he's got a whole series now. Say uh, hi to your see. brother for me. Uh, let's see, Glow Season 3 is out there on Netflix. And uh, I, I've started, I, my wife watched the first four yesterday. I'm a huge fan of the series, and, and, and Season 3 so far is is not disappointing. I'm, uh, I really love Glow. And you got Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling. What? Okay. Mm-hmm. It, I... I, I a documentary, or is this like a no? Re- it's a it's a it's a new ep- it's a new like extended episode of Rocco's. I, so I was at Comic Con like three years ago now at this point when they're uh-huh. first teasing this, and now it's finally made its way to being real. <laughs> so it's like okay, cool. Is they got a they got their it's on Netflix as opposed to Nickelodeon, huh. but then it just okay. makes it all, all more easier to consume. Right. On Prime this week, we have a series called Free Meek, which is a series about um, what's the name? Millie, rapper Millie Meek. Meek Mill. Meek Mill. Meek Mill. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I like I, good attempt. I, I appreciate that. Though. I tried. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's all I can ask for. Which goes over what his like life after getting out of a uh, prison. Prison. Yeah. It should be That's... not not long ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just it was all over the splash page of like Amazon and whatnot. I was like, oh, this is a thing apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. That's uh, now what presents out. Now next week's show. Next week uh, we're figuring it out. Uh, but Blinded by the Light is certainly a possibility. You know Richard Linklater's film Where'd You Go Bernadette also comes out next week, so we can either one or the other, or just do like a hodgepodge episode because we got a you know it's the end of it's the uh, middle you're, of August. You're forgetting Good Boys. <laughs> That's I mean fair point. Also out next week. Right? I don't like, know who Molly is. Both 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 these weeks have like had five movies like come out all at the same time. So it's like, <laughs> certainly getting a lot out before the end of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing we do here what should people go and see now and what do you plan to see next David what should people see in theaters right now well if you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, you should definitely see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, uh, if you're lucky enough to be somewhere where the um, Macedonian documentary Honeyland is playing that is uh, one of my uh, my favorite movies of the of the year so far um and, uh, uh, oh yeah, Nightingale. Yeah, okay. for sure. Okay. What do you see next? That's... Uh, what am I seeing next? Oh, I'm seeing, um, this week I'm seeing Good Boys. Uh, and I'm seeing Monos. Well, not Monos with the Hand of Fate, but Monos. Maybe it's Monos. I'm not sure how you say it. Monos, uh, simply, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I don't know much about the movie except that it has music by. Michael Levy, uh, and I've listened to some of that already. Well, yeah, that's the movie I'm seeing next as well, and I would, I would, I would, I would double what you're saying. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for sure. The Nightingale, if you can find it, and The Farewell is out there and basically wide release mm-hmm. right now, and it's doing quite well for a movie like that and that kind of release. Abe, how about you? Uh, I definitely recommend uh, you guys go and check out, um, if you can, try and check out a movie called uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, it's out for a few weeks now, but I don't know if it's been getting a lot of traction. Uh, I'd also echo The Farewell. I haven't seen it yet, but my friend wrote to me. She and her uh, boyfriend saw it, and they're like, Abe, I think you really like this movie, and I don't know what that means, so uh, I guess I'll have to go see it just to prove them wrong or right. And lastly, I'm gonna next week, I'm not sure, because I'll be at a wedding next week, so I, I won't be on the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's less when I find out the news on the show. <laughs> I might start doing that. <laughs> well, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of About Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews. I'm also on We Live Entertainment. My movie reviews go up there, and I'm also covering Preacher, which just started its uh, final season. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash wallersmoose. Hashtag, damn, my banana. David Bax, where can people find more of you online? Well, you can find my review of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and my review of The Art of Racing in the Rain uh, at BattleshipPretension.com. That's also where you can find my podcast, Battleship Pretension, which uh, has we've recorded 647 episodes. Not to put your very impressive 375 to, <laughs> to shame. <laughs> uh, we've got 647 going up this week. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. All right. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. HHWLED, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Right on the old Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or send us a tweet, twitter.com slash outnowpodcast. Outnow underscore podcast. And of course, our Instagram page, outnow underscore podcast as well, plus our Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, where you can send us plenty of images of scary clown gifts in case we don't get Abe to the all clown screening of Chapter 2. Um, if it's David, in Texas, I can't make it. 
<laughs> David, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. For sure. And that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. <laughs>